Good day. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Uh, today we're speaking with Ralph Stroja, President and CEO of Interpro Translations, in part two of a two-part interview uh, in which we're discussing translation tools, keeping up with changes in localization, and costs associated with translation. You can learn more about Interpro uh, by going to interproinc.com. And if you'd like to see edited transcripts of this interview, they're available at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. Turn to technology for the guild industry. Spoke to Brian Briggs a couple years ago, talking mm-hmm. about technology. How has technology changed in the guild industry in the last couple of years? Um, in, in, in our experience, what we've seen at Interpro with our clients and with our partners is that the technology has become um, much more user-friendly, much more intuitive, it's easier to use, and it's much more comprehensive. So, for example, you know, when we started Interpro, there was nothing that resembled the content management system that you have today. You, you basically... You had to develop your content for the website. You had to develop your content for your print media. You had to develop your content for your multimedia. Now you've got these, you know, compute these, these content management packages or enterprise content management packages, which means you can do it once, you know, for, for everything, universally uh, for your company. So if they're much more comprehensive, obviously the technology has gotten much better. Throttle version one, uh, didn't have the filters and the ability to do the things that it does today and handle all the different formats. Um, so what does Trotto's filter that that should be considered? Well, for example, you know, back when we started, you would translate an RTF file. Um, if you needed, if a client had its content in, let's say, PageMaker or FrameMaker. Um, you would basically have to uh, export that into a text format, um, change that to an RTF file, have the translator translate it, and then you would basically have to re-lay out the text according to the English. So very time-consuming, very expensive. So So, you lose a lot of formatting. You lose everything. You lose everything, or you used to lose everything, okay? Um, But there was no other way. If a client says, I want this back in FrameMaker, I want this to look like my English stock, but it's got to be in Japanese, French, simplified Chinese, and Spanish, there were a few options, okay? Then Toronto came out with something called S-Tagger for FrameMaker. Oh, okay. What does this do? Well, this allows us to take a FrameMaker document, okay, and basically get it to an RTF format, preserving all the FrameMaker desktop publishing codes. Hmm. Translators can't mess with the codes, but they can see them. So they can see if something is being bolded, or they can see if it's going to be italicized, but they can't mess with the codes. So what it means is you get it back, and you get it back as French or Japanese, and our desktop publishing staff gets it back into FrameMaker, because that tagger will take it then from RTF back into a MIF file. And then you basically have a format. You don't have a desktop publishing test, but you you have to format things. You know, it's going to go to A4. It was given to us in 8.5 by 11, so it's got to go to A4, so that's going to change some of it. You've got index entries that have to be manipulated, table of contents that need to be regenerated, et cetera, but it's much less of a task than it was before when you're just starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. 
and they came out with these for many different applications. So the technology has gotten more sophisticated. Um, you know, now you can deal with pork. Um, whereas not possible. Not, not, a lot of stuff wasn't possible. Then you get the technology where, um, you know, they call it context PM, where a lot of clients did not want to have to pay for leveraged tests. And even though it was a 100% match, they didn't want to have to pay for it. Excuse me, you leveraged tests? Okay. They, we, I, I translated your, your manual version one into French. You come out now with version two. And it's basically the same thing, but it's been updated. And some chapters have changed. Functionality in your product has been added. Some functions have been taken off. So there's a bunch of change. And very typical, no one is using any kind of uh, version control. Or if they are, it's, it's really not. They're not using it the right way. So they can't tell us where things have changed. So basically what we need to do is we take the new version, we run it against the translation number we used for version 1. Uh, and this basically breaks down what's changed. So there will be a product analysis that says, hey, 25% of this or 25,000 words out of this 100,000 are 100% matches, which means nothing's changed at all in these segments from the previous version. Okay? Then it goes down. Uh, here's repetitive text. And then you've got all the fuzzy matches down to zero matches or, or unique. So based on that, we can figure out what it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, approximately. Segment spaces. Well, segment and trados might be, um, it'll be a period, it'll be a colon, it'll be a semicolon, it'll be some kind of a stop character. And I wish Bashar was with me because he could verify this. I believe that you can, to some extent, manipulate what those stops are uh, in trados. I'm not sure if that's the engineering part of it. Um, so basically, these segments, if it's 100% match, really don't have to do anything. We always recommend to our clients that, you know, we at least review the 100% matches because what had been translated, the context may have changed. Um, it may require that what was 100% match be modified somewhat, um, but clients are becoming more and more sophisticated buyers of translation. They, they know, hey, if it was done, if it's 100% match, if I'm getting complete leveraging from my previous version, I don't want to have to pay for it again. So, you know, Trados came out with new technology, which was called, um, started out calling, they called it X-Translate, now it's Context TM. Basically, uh, it's technology which anything that was, has not changed from the previous version is not even presented to the translator. Okay, so nothing needs to be done with that, so we're only dealing with, you know, what has changed, what's been added, um, what needs to be modified. Uh, so that technology has changed so much, it's gotten so much better, it's made our jobs easier, it's made, you know, people much more aware of translation and, and much more savvy purchasers of translation, which is, you know, it's a good and a bad thing. But on the other hand, though, I'd still be surprised if you can use translation memory or whatever other automated means to have something give you a machine-generated translation. In other words, even with the advances in technology, <laughs> how great is the need for human intervention still? Uh, in my book, it's, it's, it's as necessary as it ever was. From the language point of view. Technology point of view, things are a lot easier. Things can be done faster, quicker, in a much more automated fashion. You know, if you've got a website, you're dealing with, you know, thousands of files. 
um, an online help system that we're, we're localizing right now is something like 12,000 files. You know, we've got processes, we've got, um, you know, having in-house programmers and engineering staff allows you to develop your own sets of tools that you can use to, to do things. So preparing files for translation can be done in an automated fashion because we've got our own tools set up. Um, from the language standpoint, no. We're, we're, you know, I worked for a company that developed computer-assisted translation or machine translation software back in the 80s. And actually, SDL owns that product now. Um, the original company was called Widener Communications Corporation. And then it changed to Worldwide Communications Corporation. Yeah, and it was... It wasn't clear, maybe I didn't read it, but... Um, it wasn't apparent to me that this company created the product you're talking about. Widener created that? Yeah, they had created it. They went, they got bought out by a Japanese company, and then they went belly up. The Japanese company just basically pulled out of the, the state. But, um, you know, that that is not something that we're into. I mean, you can go up to Alta Vista and go to Babblefish, and, you know, and, and I did this. I've got friends that just went back to Japan, um, and they don't speak any English. And so they sent an email with Japanese characters. So I cut and pasted, put it up there, and, you know, because of the context and because I know what we did and, and what was said, and I could pretty much figure out what needed to be done. But then, you know, you got people out there who don't know about language. They know they've got a need to get it done in French, and they're going to go off to Battlefish, and they're going to put in a web page or something, and they're going to say, okay, I've got my website in French now. Okay, I wasn't referring to that, but... Do you think Bobblefish providing what they do helps or hurts the localization? And, and my experience with Bobblefish is people taking a sentence or a phrase, translating it, and then translating it back to see what you get. It's kind of a joke, ha ha kind of thing. So not, not always. People, people really use Bobblefish yes. to, yes. to do web pages? Yes. 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 Well, um, I think it's, I, I, it's, it's no. as a language service provider, um, I'm going to say it's. It, it's, more, it's more hurt than help because you've got clients that have, they don't know anything. If they don't know anything about language, yet they know they have to get something translated and they don't want to pay for it, okay, why should they pay for it if they can get it for free on the web? That's, that's, that's the attitude. You would be surprised at the number of people who, who are doing that. Or, or they will say, you know, we already have a French letter. Well, I'll go to it. Right? I, I'm a French speaker, so I'll go to it, and I'll take a look at it, and, I, and I'll know that it's been generated automatically. I, I think part of the difference, though, is they're simply looking at it as a technology thing as opposed to a service thing. Because in my mind, localization is much more of a service industry as opposed to a technology one. Yes. And if you look at it as a service, you can't get good service out of a machine. You would be surprised at the people that think you can because they don't really know too much about language. I mean, they, they, they just don't. Um, I guess it's kind of American. Uh, I've got to give you the link to that article that I put. Um, there was something that I, mean, I, I had... Those in the yeah, I had a really good analogy that I had written down, I just, you know, I just, um... In the Babelfish one, I asked again, there's a general, I suppose it's a question from you. Uh, 
if it comes to me, I'll think of it. But yeah, I think it's hurt more than help. Um, it, it is hurt in the sense that it's delayed the process for both the client and for us. So it's delayed them really getting to their target market or projecting the image they want to project. They will eventually realize it because people will give them the feedback. This is terrible. This is, we don't understand what you're saying. Change this. I've seen comments coming from, from people. They say, you know, this is what we're getting feedback on our site. Can you translate it for us? Just let us know. And it's, you know, people in, in Germany and, and Italy and France, you know, just basically saying, get our language off of your website. This is not our language, you know, things of that nature. And then they'll come, but, you know, it's maybe six months or a year down the road. They've lost sales. They've lost credibility. They're, they've got a lot of work to do to, to get their image uh, up to par. We've lost because, you know, it's a project we could have done six months ago or a year, got that revenue, got another client, got more business out of them. So it hurts more than it helps. Eventually, it makes people aware that you cannot do it yet with machines. I guess in some ways I'm just naive enough to not even think that people would do that. And I guess I should have figured out that they would. No, they do. Just to me, it's incomprehensible that someone would even think they would. They do. They do, I'm telling you. It's, it's not, it, it's, it's not rampant. It's, you know, it's not that we have to deal with it every day or every week or every month, but you will get people that will say, hey, I can just, you know, they'll look at a quote and they'll say, oh, I'll just go get it done automatically. I know I can get, I know I can get this translated, uh, you know, on the web for free. Why should I pay for it? Okay. Right, let's do a couple other technologies and sure. come back to the class. Um, you mentioned translation memories and the fact that yours are the property of your customers when you're done. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if someone's done with a project with you and someone chooses to go to another vendor, mm -hmm. they can take the translation memory you generated for yes. them and take it on to that Yes. Yeah. Anything they have to worry about in doing that? Uh, no. They will get from us, they, they need to specify, for example, what format they wanted it. Now, we'll, we'll be very flexible with clients. Some clients will say, you know, just send us a translation memory, so we'll just take the TMX files or the TMW files from Trotto, and we'll put them on the FTP site, or we'll put them on the CD, or however they want them. So what kind of format is, I mean, is it in a database format? Uh, it's in a Trotto's proprietary format. However, what we will do for a client so that, that it's real, it can really be application independent, you know, Trotto's, as most of these packages allow you to do, is to get it into a text-only format. So it'll get you, to, it'll lose some things, right, but the basic information, which is what's the source word, or what's the, the source string, what's the target string, which is the most important, okay, they can get that back, and then they can import that into a, another tool if they like. So to tell you the truth, it's, it's very, very rare that a client will actually ask for it. We put it into every contract. We put it into every, um, uh, you know, proposal. The translation, uh, the deliverables will be this, and it will be this, and also the translation memory created for that project. And if you don't have a translation memory, if you've got the previous, you know, English and corresponding translated file, we can create translation memory for you. Okay, but, yeah, it, it's up to them. Very few actually ask for it. Once in a while... Maybe once a year, a customer will say, hey, can you put the latest translation memories up on the FTP site for us to take? But usually it's, uh, uh, you know, they know it's there, and they know that we're good for it if they ever want to. But, yes, you've got uh, a client can take the translation memory. If, for whatever reason, they want to 
go to a different translation provider, they can they don't have to lose the investment that they made with Interpro. And, and so the formats are interoperable. That the product format can work together with the GPT format versus you know if you can get if, if you can get something to a text only, you can you can import it to anything. So the, the key question is, you know, can we get it to a text-only format? And yes, you can get a trial database into text-only. As I said, there'll be some information that will be lost, um, but the basic source segment and target segment will be there, and that's that's the most important thing. But so many people have trials now that, you know, or or if they have SDLX, you know, you can take a trials file and you can import it into SDLX because it's all the same company anyway or vice versa. But yeah, they can take it and they can go on their merry way with uh, the next provider or we'll get translation memories. They'll, they'll come to us and they'll say, hey, we want you guys to translate this and we do have previous translation memory and, and here it is. Go to it. Um, that's uh, still changing pretty rapidly. How do you keep up with it? I mean, it's <laughs> like you still manage we we it, everything's a little different. Um, you know, things change on a daily basis. We get updates. We've got processes in place so that, for example, um, for Little Fuse, we maintain their site in simplified Chinese, German, and Japanese. Um, they have a content management system set up so that when there is a change, that they want to have translated, they've got a way where we get uh, an email notification with a link to where that change has taken place. They specify basically in that email um, where it's going to simplify Chinese and Japanese and German or maybe only one of the languages or two of the languages. Um, we go there, we've got a project manager in place who gets that email, um, gets the information, puts it into a format that can be translated with Trados get our partners to translate that, um, and then get that back into the format we need to, and we actually post the um, the translation for those used to review in country. Once that's done, we can post it live to the website. So there's a specific process for them. Um, we've got another client, which is Lions Clubs International, and we basically get a couple of batches per month of content that needs to be translated or needs to be updated. Uh, Kester uh, is another local company that we do the uh, localization for. Uh, it's not that that they want stuff done immediately, um, but none of them is. You know, little fuses. You know that that stuff that may have been created yesterday, and they're going to wait a couple of days until it's available on their Chinese website. A couple days, but a month. Yeah. Yeah. It it just depends on what what is being done. I mean, if you've got a like right now, Wine Club is doing their or very soon will be doing their annual convention. Okay, and they have a specific site up for the convention, and that needs to be updated. So we will get uh, much more frequent indications that here's something, here's a graphic that needs to go into ten languages, and here's an announcement that needs to go into seven languages or, or whatever they're announcing. But, so, yeah, it, it just depends. Um, sometimes they'll go for a, quite a while. Not, not lions, but some of the clients may not have significant changes for maybe a month or two. 
but you're right. I mean, websites, it depends on the company. You know, our our website used to be very static. Um, we didn't update it. No, we, we, you know, we got it up there, and I know. No, 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 no. However, if you go to interproinc.com now, you will see that we have regularly updated news sections, at least, and, you know, we're going to be rolling out a different look every quarter, at least. So we're much more involved in making sure that there's something new and something different, something to keep coming back to. And yes, the process is a little skewed. Um, it's they're automatically generated. Uh, I don't know exactly how they're generated. Somebody decides that content needs to be done. Um, the way their their site is up, they have a proprietary system set up um, for content management. So they work with um, different terminology, something called qubits. Uh, they've got different words for different things. So uh, somebody will say, okay, we want this thing translated into uh, simplified Chinese, German, and Japanese. So there is a function which basically will bundle that together somehow, and there, it's automated that it goes to a specific person in our company, the person who does the management, with the backup person, the backup project manager, just in case the first person isn't there. So it's as automated as it can be understanding that these companies don't want everything translated. I mean, they can automate it to the, the point where any change, any addition, any new PDF that's added automatically gets translated. But these, these companies are worried about how much it costs. So they're looking at, does this need to be translated? And a lot of the decisions are made overseas. So there are people in Japan will say, we really don't need this for the Japanese. It doesn't pertain to us. You can leave it in English. So they will make that decision uh, instead of just having everything. Correct. But I don't know, I think if there's, if we have a client that's doing everything all the time, uh, you know, I think they, they pretty much pick and choose and get what is what is permanent, per pertinent. Um, we also do Visiprise, which is a company in Atlanta, and we do their site in German, and we've just taken over the Chinese they had it translated before into Chinese, and they want us to, to, to maintain that like we're doing the, the German thing. I don't, and I don't have the impression that everything that changes on a daily basis gets, gets translated. A lot of news doesn't get translated for any of the clients. Um, you know, we don't translate news items on our website. You know, one of the changes the web I think would have brought about is more of a process mentality to keep up with the constant change as opposed to discrete projects mm. to start now. And it sounds like it happened somewhat a little bit, but I don't know if it's for basically it. Probably not. Probably not. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of process. It's just it's a question of uh, it, absolutely, absolutely. People do not, again, it's, um, translation is still very much an afterthought. In this age of, you know, the fact that you, Michael, you can put up your own personal website and you're global because anybody, anywhere around the world with access to the Internet can access that. If you've got a MyFace, right, or some of these other personalized web pages, anybody in the world accesses that. You're global. Whether you wanted to, to be global or not, you are, just because you're on the Internet. 
And these companies are, are just saying, well, we can't afford, we just can't afford to get everything into these languages. Well, I looked a couple of years ago in Fortune 100. Yeah. And the disappointing surprise to find that probably only 35% of them localized their website yep. in more than one language. And just you expected a lot more. Yeah, and you expected a lot more. Yeah, just, I don't know where it is today. Yeah. I think it helps that if I went back. I don't know by what magnitude. Well, I'll tell you, the clients that we're, the, we're, we're probably fortunate in that the clients that we're dealing with at least are going very deep into getting the main content fully translated. So if you go to Little Fuse, you know, you go to their product descriptions, you go to, you know, about Little Fuse, you want to go to the, Anywhere where there's the guts of the information that you're trying to get to, you're, you're going to find it fully translated into Japanese, simplified Chinese and German. Um, Visiprise is the same way. Lions Club is the same way. Um, so they're going very, very deep. A lot of companies, you will go up to their website, you've probably experienced this, and you'll say, oh, they've got different language versions. Let me go to the Italian version. The homepage will be translated, and then you'll click a link that has been translated, and it'll take you to the English back to the English site. So you've got a lot of that where, you know, and, and I think they're realizing they have to go deeper. They have to translate more and more. And it, as you said, it is the cost that's, that's keeping them from doing it. People do not want to pay for it. Okay, but uh, we'll come back to it. Um, again, back to technology. Does the emergence of instant messaging, chat, SMS, mobile messaging, that kind of stuff, impact you as a local no, it has not. It, it's, it's the only impact is it's been uh, it's facilitated communications between us and our clients. Believe it or not, we've got a lot of clients that we communicate with um, via IM instant messaging, uh, and 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 with our partners, the so-called vendors, the people that are in country. Uh, it's it's just made things almost instantaneous. It's been a benefit, absolutely. It's it's. It's not like you, well, not like you can do real-time translation. No, or, no, no. Um, no, but it sure is handy. For, for the companies that can do it, some of our clients don't allow it, you know, within their, their corporate calls. They just don't do it. But the ones that do, it's, it's wonderful. A couple of quick technical things. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between simplified and traditional training? How much do you know the difference? Um, Okay, you you start out with uh, Chinese, right? And I'm talking about traditionally, you've got you know your Chinese characters. Um, the whole world that was China speaks different languages, right? Everything spoken is different. However, written is very universal. It's Chinese. Uh, 1949, Mao Zedong pioneered the Chinese Revolution. One of the thing that he instituted was the simplification of the Chinese characters because he felt that the entire population should know how to read and write. Okay? Some of the characters being, being very, very uh, difficult, very complex. Um, he went on, and this started in 1949, um, he commissioned scholars to say, okay, we need to simplify some of these characters so that the, you know, everybody Everybody can learn it. So you've, you've got this language now, which is you've got, you know, traditional Chinese and you've got simplified Chinese. And, you know, at that time, 40s, 50s, 60s, everybody knew the traditional characters, right? 
and people had to learn to simplify characters. And now, you know, I've, I've, you get to the point where you've got the new generation of people that are growing up in China that know nothing but simplified characters. So if they go to Taiwan, uh, they have a hard time sometimes understanding what a more complex character means. Or the meaning is changed. You know, a lot of the, the Chinese, a lot of the characters in the Chinese, uh, Japanese kanji, those are Chinese characters, exactly the same, but the meaning has changed completely. So it doesn't have anything to do with your question. It's just a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting point that the exact same character in Japanese, this Chinese character has a completely different meaning. Um, my impression was, and I don't know any of the languages at all, but I guess my assumption was, Chinese kanji characters can be different from Japanese kanji characters and are different from Korean kanji characters. Korean is completely different. So, yeah, complete, co Korean characters are completely different. You have some characters in Chinese, some uh, in Japanese, the Japanese language, which are Chinese characters. They have not been altered or modified, but their meaning and pronunciation is completely different. But, but to get back to your question, that was the, the main simplified version of how you got simplified in traditional characters. Just Mao took, wanted to make it uh, uh, easier for people to read and write the Chinese language, simplify the characters so that people can do that, start teaching it to the population, and that's where you basically, you know, have two different characters that's now. For your purposes, they can be two separate languages. Yeah, for our purposes, they're two separate languages. And, you, you know, you've got programs that we use this with varying degrees of success that will do an automatic conversion. So you'll have programs out there that automatically will convert traditional to simplify, so they'll use the translation of that, but we, 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 we don't use those, really. And I guess, lastly, how do dialects affect what you do? In other words, especially in double-byte character sets, you know, you only translate into the higher version yeah. of language yeah. and stuff. Like yeah. Dialectally yeah. No. No. They don't. They. 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 No matter what language. I mean, you talk about a country with dialects. Italy. Um, you know, here's my wife is born in, in Italy. Uh, I was born here in Chicago, but um, I remember we were shortly after we were married. We were in Italy on vacation, and we were going to some tourist place. I forgot. She's from a town called Bari, which is on the southeast coast on the hill. And we were not 20 minutes outside of Bari, and we got lost. We were on some country road, and there was this guy walking down with his mule. And I said, you know what, let's, let's pull over, ask this guy how we get to Albedo. Ask the guy, you know, the guy is like, you know, I, I, it's some dialects I can distinguish between. This one, I'm, I'm thinking, well, this could be, whatever. She's nodding her head, so she's understanding it. So, okay, fine, because she speaks a different, couple different dialects. Get in the car, and I said, well, what did he say? She said, I didn't understand a word he said. I said, you're kidding. You're 20 minutes out of your town. She says, we're in the middle of the country. It's, it's a completely different dialect. But that guy will write in Italian. Dialect is, it's different now. It's funny, Michael, because people are reverting to wanting to get back to their roots. So in school, they're teaching dialects. They're teaching how to read, write, and speak it. But for many, many years, you couldn't write by you couldn't write these Venetian dialects. Okay, so everything was standardized. So you 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 translate and we translate standard Italian. We translate standard German. We translate into standard French. The dialects have no um, impact whatsoever on our business. It would if we were doing interpretation.
in that translation. Uh, a couple general things about costs and just a couple general mm -hmm. questions. I saw that you had written a piece on indirect costs mm -hmm. of Gail's globalization, internationalization, translation. What indirect costs do decision makers miss when they're looking at the price of a localization project? They miss a lot. Such as? Okay. Um, what will typically happen is a decision maker will compare and they'll get a quote and they'll say company X is charging us 21 cents a word and company Y is charging us 8 cents a word. It's the same language. It's the same source. This is, I mean, I can get so much more done with, with okay, company X. two or three times. Um, th this is what they miss. What, what happens is, and, and these are real life experiences, so they will go with, with the less expensive company. Okay? You know, you're, you're, you're the reason you're paying less is something's given, right? Something is, is not happening. So there will be some problems technically uh, when we're dealing with software application or you're dealing with, you know, maybe FrameMaker docs or, or something where there's, there's some kind of technical knowledge required, right? Um, you, you need to know how to translate hotkeys. You need to know how to translate um, back literal, things like that. Um, and these companies are, are cheap for a reason. So they don't have the experience or they're using unqualified resources, but they're getting it done and they're charging a cents of work. By the time that gets into the company, the company then will hand it over to maybe their software engineers and say, okay, here are the literals. We need to get this now um, compiled. And there'll be a whole bunch of compilers. Why? Because this company didn't follow directions, because their people screwed up the code, because their whatever reason, it got back in a format that these people now have to fix. So you've got a software engineer who's making, what, $80,000 uh, a year, um, who's spending many, many man days, hours, fixing what was eight cents of work. Okay, then... Would you guarantee against compilers? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we guarantee all of our work. We guarantee our work, whether it's linguistic or it's technical. If there's any kind of a problem afterwards, the client comes back and we fix it on a priority basis at no charge. It doesn't happen, okay? It, it doesn't happen very frequently, um, but we'll take care of it. And frequently, what we end up fixing is somebody else's problem. But um, it's our value. But yeah, so so okay. So now that eight cents a word is is closer to nineteen cents a word. And okay, well, you know, we need to have our company, or we're going to have our people in China take a look at this before we release it to the market. And they're like, oh my god, you you can't say this. You know, we're, we're talking about a phantom item, and it's translated as a ghost or, or whatever. So guess what? Now they have to go through an internal QA process with their company in China, with their people in China, or maybe they have Chinese people here who are making, I don't know, you know, pick a, pick a number. They're, they're, it's a marketing rep. He's making 40000 a year. Or it's a, a human resources person that speaks Chinese. She's making 60000 Guess what? That per word cost now has gone up to maybe $0.24 cents a word. So in retrospect, the company that was charging you $0.21 cents uh, and gave it to you back on time because we're not talk we're talking about delays as well, and it might be delays to get your product to market. How much is it worth for you to get your product to market on time? 
um, the public company, it might be a big thing. You're out there, you make a commitment to your shareholders, we're going to get this product out, we're going to start generating revenue the next day. Oh, we are now a month late or six months late. So all these costs, they're not, they're not calculating. They're just looking, you know why? Because you, ha are, you get an invoice that says, you know, 250,000 words at eight cents a word. So that's the only price you're seeing. Your in-house costs, you don't see an invoice for that. And, and believe me, that's, that's what comes time and time again where people look at, at that initial cost, the per word cost, they're not looking at the complete picture. And we've got, you know, clients where we, we're dealing with liaison people or project managers. They're saying, well, you know, it's not my decision. I know what a headache this is going to be. They went with this company for this because they're, you know, two-thirds the price of you guys. But I know with you guys, I am getting, you know, it's, it's, it's turnkey. I get it. I know I'm going to get it on time or ahead of schedule. I know it's gone through QA. I know that you guys know what you're doing technically, so we're not going to have any compiler errors, and, and it's going to end up costing less, but I cannot convince this person who owns this budget to spend that kind of money. They think they're getting a bargain. Alternatively, we can look at it another way. Um, why shouldn't compiling companies just send stuff out to their local country offices? Like Let them deal with it? At SSA 20 years I'll tell you why. I didn't do that. I, I worked with... Okay, I did it, so I went with our affiliate. So I go with our German affiliate to do it, but the German affiliate didn't do the work. We made sure that it was done by professional local translators, okay? Because okay, um, I stayed on top of it. Okay, but there's still even issues mm -hmm. with that, a consistency from country to country, if you're doling it out to no. a lot of unnegotiated translators who... You're right. Why do I not know the business? Don't know what to teach and you're right. won't have to teach. You're right. I mean, in those days, I didn't have a choice because there wasn't somebody who could, you know, there was an interval translation solution. No, what we did was we tried to control it as much as possible. So we, our affiliates would do it, but we forced our affiliates, if they wanted the revenue, that they had to buy TTT. So we controlled the technology that they used. We trained them. We trained our staff. We made them come to Chicago, or we had some of my staff go and do the training. So from the technical and the tools perspective, we, we controlled it that way. We knew that these guys were motivated to get it done because they were making good money doing the translation. They were getting a good margin. They were bringing the people in, the translation company, to work on site so they could control it that way. Uh, I made sure I got regular status reports. And then, you know, our affiliate in Cairo, for example, they had, they had the need to make sure that it was done as, good, as, as well as possible because they were selling the Arabic version. So if the Arabic version was not up to snuff, you know, they were going to suffer for it. But I mean, like the reason why, yeah, today. It, it doesn't make sense because these people are not, they're, they're not translators because typically, you're right, let's send it over to our office in, in, in Milan. They've got, you know, it's all Italian, okay? Um, here's the problem. The guy that they give it to, it's, it's not his main job or her main job. So it's, it's just an add burden to probably what is already a, an overburdened schedule. So here's something else that the person needs to do. How do you know that this person is qualified? I mean, I know a lot of native speakers of English, and, and I wouldn't want them teaching my kids how to speak English or, or, or writing a piece that I'm going to put on. If some of them don't talk good. Um, you know, just because you're a native speaker doesn't mean you speak the language well, and surely doesn't know mean that you you know how to translate. Okay, so 
okay? Um, I, I won't mention names and I won't mention what company I was with, but I uh, was with a company and I wanted to get some a series of pieces done translated-wise. Uh, it was marketing material. It was for a trade show. Somebody asked me if we could get this done. And I said, yes, but um, we can't do it internally, but I know a company that that professionally will do it. We can outsource it to them. We got the quote. They flipped. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're going to send it to our office in Paris, and we're going to have it done there. So I'm going to have it done, but I want you to manage it. I was like, okay. So what happened was, the managing director. This was pre enterprise Yeah, this was one of the other companies I worked with. I don't want to mention who it is. The managing director, who probably made $150,000 a year, ended up translating that. Right. Now, this guy should have been out there networking with clients, selling, doing presentations. How much do you think it costs to get that, that, that marketing brochure done with a guy who made $150,000 a year? A hell of a lot more than it was going to cost me to go with this company that I knew would do good marketing translation. It just, it, it, that's what I tell people when they say, we're just going to have it done by our people overseas. Your people overseas aren't using tools. They're not trained translators. How do you know that they understand English well? You don't know. You don't know if your translation is going to be accurate. And the guy's translating when he is, he's a support person and you've got a key client who's screaming, who's got a problem. This guy is holed up in some office. He's not available to the client to provide support because he's translating a goddamn name. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And you bring these real life, it's real life. That's one of the nice things about the background that I have is I can go and say, listen, I was on, I was on your side of the desk. I know what you're going through. I know what your problems are. And I can tell you the problems I ran into. So don't, you know, believe me. You know, I, I want you to avoid those issues because they can be very, very costly. So, and I guess the last perspective on this, I do think localization has a reputation to be expensive. Yeah. Part of what you're saying is the opportunity costs are a lot more expensive. Exactly. Are there any other opportunity costs that you can see with it? Um, you know, one of the... Part of what you're saying is simply the alternative labor cost of doing it yourself. In a lot of cases, and that's a big It's it, yeah, exactly. You, you, they don't realize what what the actual cost is of doing it. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and not just the time and paying people to do it, but the business cost associated. So, well, with well, well, do, you, do you remember? You're probably too young, young man, um, to remember when IBM released the first PC. 81, 81, 82, okay. Look so much younger than me because you got hair. Um, do you remember that they, the revenue they lost because they could not, they did not have translated versions of their documentation? And Europe was, okay, well, I was in that area because I was working for WCC at the time. And I remember, because I remember we also had Apple as a client, and Apple did it the right way. They translated, this, if you remember, the Lisa, um, Steve Jobs' daughter, he named it Lisa, but we were doing the translation of that. In the meantime, IBM was not able to sell its, its product in Europe because of the laws that really existed on the book that said if you want to trans, if you want to market your product in Europe, it has to be in the languages of the European Union, what was it called, European, not the European community country. 
official languages. Mm-hmm. How much revenue did they lose by not being able to sell for six months? Huge. Huge. Okay. So, uh, you know, how much are these people losing if they're supposed to release something at the end of August and because of translation issues, they can't release it until the following quarter or maybe a month later or, I mean, it affects the whole, the whole supply chain. Their affiliates who are expecting, they, they signed up to sell that product, they have to sell it in Chinese. They can't sell in English. They can demo an English version maybe, but they need the Chinese version because, you know, the girl who is back in accounts payable uh, in China doesn't speak English. She needs it in Chinese. Well, then you put three inventory costs into it. I mean, essentially, that, I mean, if you've got stuff sitting there, the interest, the, you know, all that oh. kind of stuff, I mean, that's beyond lost revenue. Those, they're not exactly firm and hard costs, but they're, but they're costs. Cost they are costs. There's, there's all kinds of costs that go into that, and they don't understand it because they're not getting an invoice for it, Michael. No. You're not getting an invoice from a localization company doing it for eight cents a word. So I'm not paying for it. Okay. Um, a couple other things, you know, kind of personal, maybe a little silly. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw on the website that one of your colleagues proposed that English become one of the official languages of Switzerland. When's that going to happen? Uh, officially, never. In practicality, it's already happened. I mean, it's, it's practically, I mean, you go anywhere in the world. How, how much do you travel internationally? In like 35, 40 countries. Okay. In, has there been any country that you've visited where whatever you needed, um, you went to the airport, you went to a hotel, that you could not get it into English? I mean, you, okay. Last year. Okay, okay. Maybe, yeah. There, there are still places in the world. But a cheap place behind the train station. Okay, fine. But it was, in, it, was, it was in Russian, maybe, or Latvian. Yeah. It wasn't in Spanish as well. If it was in any other foreign language, it was in English. I mean, you can go... cheap hotel or in Portugal. It was all Portuguese, right? It wasn't in Spanish. Okay, so it's a while ago, but... You know, the point is, you can go anywhere in the world, pretty much anywhere in the civilized world, and if you go to China, you know, you're going to be able to get information in Chinese, obviously, and the other languages in in English. I mean, on a recent trip... And that's for Shanghai. You know, subway stations are in English now. Oh, you know, in Japan, Tokyo, one of the world's largest cities. You can't be sure that everything is going to be in Japanese and English. But if it's in another language, it's not going to be in French. It's going to be in English. Um, a trip to China. I'm talking maybe three years ago. Um, you know, when, when, to, to get out of the country, you've been to China? You've been to China? Yeah. To get out of the country, you know, there's a whole bunch of documentation that you have to fill out at the airport. Yeah. If you don't know English and you don't know Chinese, you're off the creek. Well, somehow this Italian guy latched on to me. He must have heard me talking to my wife or something on the cell phone at a time. And he got, and he was like, I mean, scared. Sick. I said, you know, I said, how do you know I speak Italian? I overheard you talking on your phone to somebody in Italian, and he said, I got a real problem. I'm here alone. I don't speak English. I don't speak Chinese. I got an Alitalia flight from Milan I got to get on to. And I got all this paperwork. Can you help me, man? The guy stuck with me like glue. I helped him get all this stuff done. Build out, I mean, how awful. No, the guy was a jerk. He went through, he didn't even say thank you. He just left. I mean, once he got past the, you know, passport control, he ain't 
but I mean, so here's the point. He, you know, he is in one of the world's largest cities. I'm talking about three years ago, Beijing Capital Airport. And if you don't speak English or you don't speak Chinese, you're you're in big trouble. But English has become, to get back to your question, it's not an official language in China. If you go to the CIA factbook, you know, you'll see Chinese, Mandarin, right? Uh, if you go to Japan, Japanese. You go to Korea, Korean. But the de facto, uh, a, de, a de facto um, official language is English, but they won't call it that. It's, it's the de facto practical language for the world. Or they come in to Sweden, Holland, uh, Denmark. Their company languages come in English. Yeah. Correct. And, it's you know, they've even gone away from their national country yeah. language. Yes. Which, yeah. Which is kind of humbling, but, you know, in some ways. Just develop products. They may be in Sweden. It may be, uh, you know, Ericsson. I remember we when I was in, working in France, Ericsson was one of our clients. And then they were developing products in English, not Swedish. You know, they had their own PC at one point in time. They had to spend money to get their products translated into Swedish or Swedish company. They didn't develop in Swedish. They developed in English. They developed in English. That was that was a long time ago. And that was in the eighties. They're very clever. But I mean, all Scandinavia is just. I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, but but by the age of eight, English is mandatory. So you know, these are kids that by the time they get done with high school. They speak better English, more correct English, and they know more about grammar than uh, their, you know, U.S. equivalent. I got to admit, I never learned English as well until I learned German. Right. And, right. You know, yeah, you probably didn't know what an infinitive was until you started learning German. Yeah. 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 You worked in Lake and to be honest, you're one of the few people that I've come across who have. How has that helped you? I think the biggest thing that that did for me was it, it gave me the, the, the other perspective. Okay, so for example, I, most of my working experience and living experience abroad has been in France and Italy. Okay? What I got out of that was, was two main things. Um, the real sense of working in partnership. And maybe it was just the companies that I was involved with, but there was a very, very strong emphasis on you didn't go it alone. If you were in the company, um, you know, you always got your colleagues together as a sounding board or what can we do, what can we do, you know, how, how can we, we do this? And it spilled over into the client. So I think the sense of partnership that is really ingrained in me is a result from, of my years working, studying, and working and living in France. Uh, and also a lot of travel in Europe. You know, I spent a lot of time in Italy as well, and a lot of time traveling with, uh, in different countries and working with people. But I think the perspective of a partnership is, is one of the things that I really got from the... In other words, the French kind of embraced partnership as a culture? The culture that I worked in, yes. Yeah. They were very much uh, so into partnership. Was it a thing or a company culture thing? You know, I don't know. It was, it was the companies that I was working with at the time. And I'll tell you what, the, uh, we worked a lot with IBM in Paris. And it was that, it had that feeling of, of partnership. You were working together. It wasn't you were doing something for them. You guys were doing something together. Um, much more so than I experienced 
up until that point in my career in the States. I mean, I was shocked when I came back to the States and got back at, you know, working with an American company and, you know, the people that were just going alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, much, much more so. On the ladder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that I got out of it was was the importance of the importance of language to these people. Really important. And I'm not talking about just university-educated people. I'm talking about, you know, people with very basic education, how much do they really, really care about their language. I lived with a family in Avignon, and they were not university-educated. The, the, my French mother, um, you know, I think she didn't work. She didn't have a real job. She would be like a maid sometimes when somebody needed her. Uh, my French father worked for the French Social Security System as a bureaucrat, you know, High school education, yes, you know, you would have a conversation with them and they would say, you know, they'd stop and say, is that the correct word to you? And they would go and they would get the, the, the family dictionary, bring it to the kitchen table, yes, and they would, they would be, there was a real interest in, in my, my, uh, my, my in-laws were the same way in Italy, not educated at all, not even high school education, but very concerned about the language, very concerned about you know, using the language correctly, because that was just a part of them. So when I come here and I hear people, they say, oh, you know, the French, they're going to they're like, 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 complain like, about that. No, the, no, the people that in our industry, they'll say, oh, you know, the French are going to complain about that. And, you know, well, well, yeah, they make too much out of it. They do make too much about, uh, out of it because it's very important to them. And I think if I had not lived over there and I saw it with my own eyes and experienced it, you know, I'd probably be one of those that say, yeah, well, they're never happy. No, they really, really take it seriously. And yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still a language that you have. It's even yeah, but it, I mean, Italy, yeah. Italian, Spanish. When you go overseas, and probably if, if your German is really good, people will respect you. Okay. If if first of all, they'll respect. If you're an American, they'll respect you if you even know a language, right? And you try to speak it. If you speak it well, I mean, they, they really put you on a pedestal. They really do. I mean, they're they're very grateful. If you make the attempt, number one, okay, and if you are really successful, and they say, hey, Michael, you really speak the German. I mean, you are, you're separate from, you're, you're really, you're, you're out there because it's really important for them. And you are not a German native speaker, and you've gone out of your way to learn their language, to learn something about them, and to do it well. They're, they're, they're very appreciative. Well, I agree. And, you know, living in Germany, Germany, I gotta admit, I was fortunate the way I went about it simply because I studied in high school, in college, and then uh, Thunderbird. Yeah, in Arizona, sure. Exactly. And so when I first got there, they laughed at me because I spoke book German. But what was good about it was I learned the grammar and the structure so well yeah. that all I had to do was drop in the word. And because I could speak correctly, even if I spoke mm. book kind of words, yeah. the longer I was there, the more I was able to drop in the right words the better I spoke. So. We, we, we've got such a long way to go in this country. Uh, I mean, just really. I, I, another experience I had was in, in Germany, and I was, uh, this is after I was with Interpro. I was going to visit a client, and, you know, it was late, but you've got, you know, the, the office here in, in Chicago is seven hours behind. Things are still going on, so they set me up in, in a conference room like this. And that's my makeshift office, and I was there for a week. So I was working, and it was late at night, and, and I was on a conference call or I was on my cell phone or something back to Chicago and talking and, you know, this guy came knocked on the door and he came in and, um, 
I was done with my call, and uh, he said, I wrote it, yeah, and it really, really marked me. It's like, this guy, I don't, you know, he was a, you know, a janitor, basically, a janitor. Forgot what he came in for, but, I mean, he said in, in, in English something that, you know, I, probably the majority, the overwhelming majority of Americans could not say in any foreign language if you were, if you were born here. And just, you know, got it out there, you know, and I'm like, wow. It, it just, it really did mark me. You know, and just, just realize how, how far we have to go. Okay. So we're going to do another way. You speak three different foreign languages in addition to English. Mm -hmm. How does that help you at work? Um, it helps me in what I do. First of all, I, you're very credible. Okay? You can speak about language issues. You can understand the problems involved in them because you know a language and other people know that you know a language. Okay? Um, I'll, I'll, you know, here, here's an analogy to that. If you were trying to contract with somebody to develop a program for you, okay? Um, and you're talking about programming languages, aren't you more willing or uh, don't you feel more comfortable dealing with somebody who is a programmer, even though it's, whether it's Fortran or C Sharp or whatever, the person knows programming and the basic tenets of programming are going to be the same regardless of the language. That person is going to be a lot more credible in your eyes. You're going to believe that person a lot more, I think, because they know programming. And I think in, in our industry, if you know a language, and if you know a language well, it's even better, but if you know a language, um, if you know a couple of languages, you can be much more credible walking into a situation where this guy's got a problem. He's got a problem, and what is the best way to get this done? Ralph, what's the most effective, fastest way for me to get this information into this language? Understanding that I don't have all the money in the world, and I don't have all the time in the world. You know, have you been in this situation? Yeah. Hey, I've been in this situation. Here are the problems you're going to face. Boom. So, are there people who work in your industry who don't know languages? Well, language that there are. I'm not going to get a dig in at Brian and Aquaro, but, you know, I, don't, <clears throat> I think Brian was an English speaker, and I think he said something about speaking some Spanish, but, yeah. No, there, there are people, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know if Mark Lancaster speaks other languages. He's a technical genius, and he's a business genius, you know. Bill Gates, um, I don't know if Rory Cohen speaks foreign languages. Um, you know, his background is a, is a very successful executive background from our, our Donnelly days and then Stream and, and now Winebridge. But, you know, can he go to Winebridge, Paris and hold a conference in French? I don't know. He may. He may. There's a lot of people. No, there's, there, there are quite a few people in our industry who do not speak languages and maybe have never been in the position of having to um, head up a department or head up uh, a project where you've got to get something out into multiple languages and well, you have to get it done right. Because I guess yeah. that's the no. Oh, no. Maybe, maybe you have soldiers instead of the chiefs. Okay. Uh, um, you, you can have a lot of people, you know, the, the, the soldiers are more the ones that are, are, are going to speak the language, of course. Mm -hmm. They're getting the actual work done. But I think, you know, the higher up you go, the less chance you have of somebody being able to, uh, to know the language. And I guess... In addition to credibility, how well is your client? Oh, it's 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 excellent with um, you know with our partners. 
So I can go to France, for example, or I can go to Italy, or I can go to Spain, and I can speak with these people. I go to our office in Rosario, even though they're always using English with me, uh, try to go and speak Spanish. Um, it, it, it's a differentiator um, if you can communicate with these people in their own language. Uh, they feel that they can probably trust you more. Um, they, if they really have a problem, and they all speak English, but if they really have a problem and they know they can't express themselves, they can go back to their native language and, and I can at least understand most of it. Um, uh, with clients, you know, clients have asked, you know, well, we've got a presentation to do in Montreal, um, but we'd like it to be done in French. Can you send somebody out there to do it? Yeah, I'll come. Oh, yeah, uh, I said, I'll do the, I'll do the PowerPoint in, in French and I'll do the, the presentation in French. And I've, you know, obviously can't do that in, in every language, but, um, you know, for, for, like I said, English is, is what's pretty much requested, but, uh, some of these other languages come in very handy. Well, I guess from my perspective, we here in America kind of assume everyone else is going to speak English for us. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare that we make the counter assumption mm-hmm. that other people are most comfortable speaking their own native tongue. Yep. And, and that's kind of arrogant. Yep. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're getting better, though. I, I, I do say in this article, we are getting better. We are becoming more of a citizen of the world. Sure. You know, I, well, I mean, part of that is the proliferation of technology. Yes. It's, it's the equalizer. It's well, the internet is the great equalizer. Exactly. The, the the other thing that, that I'll just add to, to, to finish up on your question is, it also helps me uh, be credible with with my employees because they can come to me and at least for the languages that I know, they can say, hey, could you take a look at this? What do you think? How do you think this should be? Do you think this is right? Um, for the languages that I don't know, obviously for for Japanese and Chinese, some of the generic language issues might be there, but the project managers feel they can come to me and say, hey, what do you think about this? Should we do this? Should we not? And we just had a, um, an argument, but a discussion internally where we delivered a computer-based training package in, in five languages, and the client realized that there was a whole bunch of stuff that was missing, so they made a, a, many, many changes to it. We translated the changes piecemeal, gave it to them, they were responsible for putting it back into it. There was a lot of flash components. And, and I said to the project manager, I said, you know what? They have never asked us and we have never offered to test now. You know, we, what we gave them last month is different than what they have now. We fully tested that. With all these changes, said, yeah, but they implemented the changes. I said, yeah, but, um, you know, as soon as something happens linguistically, something is cut off on the screen, some flash program doesn't display a character right, they're going to think it's a translation issue. And that's got our name on it. So my suggestion is we ask for that and we go through it. And sure enough, we found out in the French presentation that they had somehow put German text. We caught that and basically said, guys, this this needs to be changed. We need to test all of the, the, the final versions given all these changes that you make. It's, it's language independent, but it, it comes from, you know, um, trying to get defects out into 18 different languages or asset or uh, ADCAM products with Intergraph when I was there or I don't know how many different projects I've worked with since I've been in Interpro, but it just, it comes with the territory and, you know, if they know that you know languages and the issues involved in them, they're more likely to come to you and say, hey, Ross, what do you think about this? Whereas if you didn't, you know, 
is there anything else about Interpro, guilt industry, technology costs that we haven't addressed that, that I've missed? Um, probably. And that, that, okay. and, and that's, another reason for us, that's another reason for us to get together the next time. Okay. All right. That's all I have. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, sir.